Welcome to Healthcare IT Today. I'm John Lynn, together with my colleague and friend, Colin Hung. The world of technology and healthcare are ever-changing in new and novel ways, and that's why we love this stuff. So join us as we discuss the latest healthcare and health IT news, meshed together in new ways, which help generate ideas and new perspectives. Plus, we'll have a little fun along the way. On today's episode, we'll be filling the rush. Guess you'll have to keep listening to see what that means, but uh, be sure to follow the show on Twitter at the hashtag HITSM and our personal accounts at TechGuy and at Colin underscore Hung. Plus, check out our 14 years of health IT blog content at healthcareittoday.com. You uh, feeling the rush today, Colin? Uh, I think so. You know, I'm, Even though I haven't actually gone out of my house in a long time, I feel like we're rushing around. <laughs> Okay, I always feel rushed. I always I do, I do. But that is not the that is not what this episode is about. Uh, but we are going to talk about a few interesting topics. Uh, the first of which is rushed implementations, right? I mean, given everything that's going on with the need to implement telehealth and other technologies, a lot of organizations have had to rush into adopting these types of technologies. And of course, in some cases, that has gone uh, not so well. In other cases, it's gone pretty smoothly. So. We thought we'd cover that off uh, first. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I was reading an article about one of the telehealth vendors, and they said, yeah, our usual six-month implementation process literally got squeezed into three days. And, you know, it's like, that's just mind-blowing to even consider. Like, how how did you do that? It also begs the question, why was it a six-month process if you could do it in three days? And then it also begs the question, what did you miss since you only did it in three days and it used to take you six months? I think some of it was bureaucratic layers, <laughs> so layers of bureaucracy that were just slowing down the implementation process, and that's why it took six months. And it turns out amidst COVID-19, all bureaucracy just exploded and you know, just was ignored. And, and what are going to be the consequences of that? You know, I think that's going to be really interesting. I think some of it is, some of that bureaucracy was about buy-in. And it turns out COVID-19 made buy-in really simple. And so that's not gonna be missed at all. But some of the other processes were around safety, around training, around communication. And you know that's gonna be where it's lost, I think. Well, I, I, I would agree with you. I think there's some parts of a rushed implementation that makes sense. The reduction in, in bureaucracy, red tape, uh, you know, shrinking of requirements, you know, uh, you know, instead of asking for the moon, they were kind of just like, I just need something. And so everyone shrinks their requirements down to something that's more reasonable. I think that's sort of a, a, a nice part of a rushed implementation. Uh, for me as well, I think a lot of people are just accepting right now of whatever the functionality is out of the box like they're not asking for those bells and whistles uh, which i think makes sense i mean a lot of vendors have always recommended just go vanilla version one and then once you get used to using it and then once you get used to the changes in your workflow and the changes in your operations then you know customize it and and tune it to to what your needs are but but a lot of people obviously don't do that. Um, they they spend a lot of time up front customizing it ahead of time. So that aspect I think has been a good thing. But I agree with you. There's there's probably a lot of um, uh, things that got brushed over, like security and privacy and and those kinds of things in a rushed implementation that we're we're gonna have to unwind uh, when we get to a point where people can go back and look at these projects. 
Yeah, I'd also add that along with implementing the vanilla out-of-the-box solution, which is a really great point, beyond that, I think many also said, all right, what do we really need to implement now and what can we save for later? And so I think that save for later is the next opportunity that will take the next six months to implement, whether that's an EHR integration, where they said before they would have said, I have to have this integrated with my EHR. During COVID-19, they probably said, I just need a solution. Let's deal with the EHR integration later or whatever it might be. Those types of integrations probably were put off in many cases. And so that's actually a huge opportunity for a healthcare organization to go back and integrate it and make this experience much better. Of course, from a healthcare provider clinician perspective, they're using a telehealth implementation or whatever other solution they used implementation that's only half-baked. So is that going to mean that they had a bad experience and they don't like the solution because it was half-baked? Or do they understand the situation and once it's fully baked, they'll be like, oh, wow, this is way better than it was at the start of COVID-19 now that the notes happen automatically or whatever happens, the integrations happen automatically. No, it's a, it's a great point. Integration is probably one of the things, unless you went with the vendor that you already had and went with their solution that was already integrated, you're probably looking at a standalone solution. Uh, and I think, you know, one of two things in my mind would happen. One, I think people will either appreciate more of what integration really does for them <laughs> because, you know, the other products and tools that they've implemented likely were integrated and this one isn't. And now you see, oh my gosh, I can't get access to the, the, the nodes. I can't get access to this or that. Like now I understand the need for integration. So I won't question that maybe going forward. Uh, or in, the reverse might happen and go, you know what? Like, why did we even bother doing this up front? We should just implement and start using the product. And then we know we don't have to, to integrate everything. All we need to integrate is these four or five elements. Cause that's all I really seem to be using when I'm using this uh, telehealth, right? Like, do you need to integrate the entire record right away? The answer might be no, uh, now that you've had a chance to use it without it. Yeah, that would be a great outcome. I think the other challenge that we see in these, you know, in this rush of implementations is around the training. And I don't even know if it's fair to even say that it was a rush training. I, I think in most organizations, it was a no training or <laughs> I mean, it's not even rushed. That's not fully true. Yeah, I, I definitely saw some health systems who were doing some basic training for their clinicians around it, but it really was that basic training. And so is there a need to go back and train them properly, or at least train them on the advanced functionality? Because what we've experienced, I think, from the EHR world is basic training is key up front, and you actually don't want to do the advanced training up front. You do the basic training, you get them what they need to do their job, and then you come back in and do the advanced training, which then takes their experience from, I can do my job to, oh, this IT system is making my life better. And unfortunately, in the EHR world, many people didn't go back and do the advanced training so that it was a great experience for the doctors, which is why they're getting burnt out and they blame the EHR and all of that. Whereas in telehealth and other things that we've implemented, do we need to go back and do that more advanced training to help them understand all the bells and whistles that will make their life easier? Well, that's a great point. I, I agree with you that 
in some cases uh, it, it was rushed training uh, although in more cases it was no training I mean, you just basically got the tool and you had to figure out how to use it and and thankfully you know a telehealth system is not a full EHR I mean I can't imagine trying to use an EHR without basic training but it, it might have been possible to use the basics of a telehealth system uh, if it was designed properly without a whole heck of a lot of videos and tutorials and things right you click you connect with the patient and, and off you go right um, but I agree with you I think that the challenge will be are we going to circle back will organizations invest the time to go back and teach these users how to take advantage of some of the more advanced features but also how to better integrate that tool into their workflow right I mean people are I think that's actually the part of training that was more valuable and certainly the how to use the software was important but how to use it in context of this um, uh, route of care or this pathway is going to be far more important and, and we're kind of discovering that as we go right now it's sort of on the fly training and so taking all those best practices and going back and teaching everyone oh like this is the best way to use it when you have this situation or this type of patient not to use it in this situation that institutional learning is the training that i think most organizations, uh, I mean, I hope they will go back, but I suspect a lot of them won't. Yeah, and one fear I have is that this advanced training will be about teaching the clinician how to train the patient on using the technology. I, I can already hear the doctor saying, I'm not IT support. Why am I doing this? You know, just like they said, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a secretary. Why am I documenting everything in the HR? You can already hear, why am I doing tech support for the patients? You know, not all doctors. A lot of them will be very understanding and, and doing it. But you can hear that they're going to have that frustration if the telehealth solution is not user friendly and is not done in a way that the patient can just use it. I mean, we, we talked about this on a previous episode. There's people who are literally having call centers call out to the patient to make sure that the tech is ready to go so that the doctor doesn't have to deal with that. Is that going to become the new normal or is some other way, you know, going to be implemented to make sure that the patient's tech setup is done properly? Because that is a, a challenge for any of them. But you're right that a telehealth solution is much more like Skype or like you know iTunes than it is an EHR, which is a you know, order of magnitude, maybe even two orders of magnitude more complex. Uh, you bring up a good point, though. We haven't really talked about the training for the end users, right? We, I mean, on the external side, we talk about it on the internal side. There's certainly resources that could be applied there. But you know, getting a patient to watch a video on how to use um, telehealth is going to be challenging when they can't even figure out how to get into the portal, right? Like, or they don't want to get into the <laughs> portal because, you know. So I, I can't imagine, you know, maybe this is a bit ageist, but I can't imagine a 75-year-old, you know, who's never used a, you know, a Zoom meeting or anything, trying to figure out how to use a telehealth solution with their doctor, right? And and uh, it's good that some hospitals are recognizing this and having the call center agents call out and make sure that the technology is set up, that they have the right internet, that they have the right tool, if they download the right app if that's needed. Uh, but I think that's going to be a critical piece going forward to say, you know, this is not sustainable. Like we cannot keep doing this. Uh, we're going to have to adopt either a better tool or we're going to have to ask the vendor to really make the patient side so, so simple. Like it, it might have to be a, an interface that looks exactly like Skype, right? And and it's and yeah. and you know it might it might not have to be in an app that they have to download because that's one extra step, right? 
so it, it's going to be interesting because I think other hospitals are running into a lot of these implementation issues and training issues on the, the patient side. And that's just an extra cost that, well, who's going to pay for that? The answer is right now, nobody's paying for that. Uh, but it's the only way for hospitals to get revenue right now. So they have to, they, you know, they're finding a way. But going forward, you know, this may mean that there will there'll be, be a decline in the number of telehealth visits because hospitals just go, you know what, Don't, just come on in. <laughs> it's just easier. Come on in. We'll yeah. just see you. And definitely, and I think that usability may set apart one telehealth vendor that survives and thrives over another. Very good. Very true. Hey, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Healthcare IT Today with John Lin and Colin Hung. And today we're talking about feeling the rush in healthcare. I thought at first when we did it, feel the rush would be a music one. We should have had some rush music to play. Yeah, good, <laughs> good Canadian band, good Canadian band. Well, I, I'm all Canadian now. I'm I'm uh, thinking of moving there. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> oh goodness. Well, we talked about um, some some things that happen on the healthcare provider side. Let's turn our attention and talk a little bit about the impact of rushing uh, development uh, and that how that's impacting or has had an impact on health IT vendors. Um, I've recently talked to a few uh, vendors through that uh, 100 in 100. Uh, initiative that we've got going on john and i've asked them specifically about you know how they change the development process and one of the things that i consistently hear back is something that you talked about just before people have compressed and squeezed out a lot of the bureaucracy out of their product development cycles so it used to take six or seven months in order to get requirements locked down now it's taking like two weeks right because people are just like okay we don't need to go through endless committees to figure out what the button should be we'll just put it here and it makes sense and let's go uh, and so they're compressing a lot of the bureaucracy out of their product cycles and then they're also doing way more releases than customers were previously tolerant of like there are some companies that are doing releases every other week which most it shops would have balked at that but given the current environment and the need for these changes and fixes and things IT departments are like, yeah, bring it on. Like every couple of weeks, you want to do another rollout? Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't think we'll definitely hop too deep into, you know, should they be rolling them out every week? Uh, you know, and there's a lot of development methodologies that we could discuss, but you're absolutely right that they have rushed the development of certain ones, certain technologies, telehealth being the obvious one, but also communication systems, interoperability systems. So we've seen it across a wide variety of health IT. At first I would be concerned with it because rushed feels like it could be a lower tier quality. And we hear all sorts of stories. Yeah, you know, I think one of the quotes from a CEO I read was, I don't think we've slept in the last three weeks, which is not that far from accurate. You know, that, and I heard another developer say, yeah, I've basically been 16 hours a day for the last two weeks. And then every, the, the other eight hours I'm sleeping and eating. So, you know, it's like, that's been the reality for many of these. And in one respect, it's actually not a bad thing because if you've ever developed on a product, 
developing it in a short time frame is extremely efficient and actually very effective because you know you just implemented it and you haven't forgot what you've implemented. And so if you do it effectively and do it quickly, it can often be a higher quality product than if it's spread out over a larger span where you don't remember what you did two months ago in order to call it back. So it can be more efficient, it can be a higher quality. The problem is, when you do it that quick, you usually don't have time to do a lot of the testing that you might have done with a normal product. So you're kind of testing in the wild. And so yeah, that's where it's a little nerve wracking. If you've ever been on the implementation side and implemented a product on the first uh, batch, which I have done, you've learned uh, and you have the scars of what that's like when a memory leak is, is stuck in there and you're dealing with a memory leak that slows down your system to a halt and you can't figure out what it is. And when you restart, it does it. And then you've got to point fingers. Who's responsible for this slowdown? And they say it's your hardware. And you're like, no, it's your development. And anyway, it's this back and forth. It's brutal. So, you know, I, I think that's what gets lost in this speed, sped up development process. Yeah, you know, quality uh, and QA is definitely one of the areas that unfortunately gets cut a lot when product development gets shrunken. Um, thankfully, a lot of the QA now is automated, right? So if you've got black box testing implemented, if you've got those types of tools in place, you know, you're just running it through the standardized testing. But you're right. What what doesn't happen now is you don't have the time for beta test customers. Like you're not you're rolling this out to basically to everyone at one shot, rather than what you would normally do would roll it out to like let's say two or three, let them try it, iron out the bugs, do a fix, and then roll it out to the rest of your clients. The the fixes and things and enhancements are so desperately needed right now that they can't afford that process, like the true beta testing type process. And so I think that is unfortunately being cut out. For the most part, from what I've heard, the quality has not suffered horribly. It's not like these things have failed or whatever. They at least you know, will function. They may not function exactly 100% the way the end user expected it to, but at least it does function. So at least I haven't heard any horror stories of that nature quite yet. But, <laughs> um, but what I did find interesting was this, this whole notion that um, the with the pandemic, it's really narrowed people's requirements. Again, back to the requirements mm. side, they just haven't been asking for the moon. They're asking for the basics. And so, when you have a narrower set of requirements, where they're much better understood, you're right in the sense of it helps to motivate people, right? When I know the goalpost is not that far away, and I know it's a sprint for like two weeks or three weeks, like that's manageable, that's doable, and I don't mind putting in the extra hours to get it done. I can't see this being sustained over the long term, but certainly, you know, for a period of months, it can be a very effective way to get a team motivated and 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 products out the door. Absolutely. I'm also interested in the different types of companies and how they're rushing it. So if you're an EHR vendor, you've rolled out a lot of software to your clients. And if you roll out a telehealth solution, sure, it's a new technology, but you know the process, you know the you have the relationships with the clients to roll out software. And even if you're a telehealth vendor, you know your process of rolling out a telehealth product into a healthcare organization because you've done that hundreds of times before. But what's interesting is there's a bunch of other companies 
like Doximity, for example, that rolled out a telehealth solution, or I just saw today Doctor.com has developed a telehealth solution. And even someone like a Doctor First who rolled out a telehealth solution, they've been creating software for a long time, but they've been selling it into the EHR vendor. They don't implement it directly to the providers as much, although it seems like, and I could be wrong on exactly how it's positioned, but it seems like their telehealth is going straight to the provider. And that's a new thing for them and a new thing for all these organizations. Doximity kind of had a phone app that they were doing that would hide the doctor's phone number, but telehealth is like a whole step higher in, in as far as workflow and implementation. So I'm going to be interested to see how those companies do because they rushed the product development to get this product out there, but does it even meet the specs of the workflow that the doctors want? That's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, let me, let me end off this topic by just uh, giving a tidbit that I uh, got from an interview from someone who was trying to figure out a way to motivate their team to sustain a rushed development process. And what they did um, turned out to be such a great motivator, which was basically they opened up their client meetings to the entire development team. So rather than have just the product designers talk with the customer, they basically put the customer on a giant video call on the wall. They had the entire development team sit there and listen to what the doc or the end user wanted. And, and during those calls, the docs would say, thank you. They would say, thank you for developing this. Thank you for listening. Thanks for incorporating these changes so quickly. We desperately need it because we're trying to take care of our patients. And that was just so motivating for the developers who normally don't have a chance to interact with the end user. And so knowing that what they were working on was having such an impact on patients and on these physicians for this one company was extremely motivating uh, and, and really helped to improve the throughput and the quality of what the team was developing. So it's not all bad. And you're right, rushed does not mean bad. It just means that you're compressing. And uh, I think that's totally expected and sustainable right now. But let's talk about one last thing about feeling the rush. And that is, of course, the rush into healthcare. And, uh, you know, we've heard over the last few weeks about a number of companies that are thinking about getting into healthcare, and And so I thought we could talk about that, John. Well, every company is a healthcare company, it seems. So <laughs> it's, it, it, it's so ironic because you and I read all the reports and we see what happens in healthcare. And then many of them are suffering without these elective procedures. So it, I don't think a lot of people that come from outside of healthcare have been able to process that fact. And, you know, I wonder if that's going to end up catching up with them. But we've definitely seen the rush into healthcare. We see, you know, and there is money to be spent if you have the right solution, because these healthcare organizations need to spend money on the right solutions that will allow them to survive amidst this chaos and this uh, lack of elective procedures. And how do they get back to these elective procedures? And what will the future bring? So we are seeing that. Uh, yeah, there's so many that to talk about, but it's certainly the big tech companies that are, are drawing the most attention because they have lots of cash and they don't mind spending it to be able to get market share. And that's how these big tech companies approach it. Uh, I remember some of those conversations where they're like, hey, we're ready to spend a lot of money, but we need to get to this piece of market share. Because if we don't, that product line is just gone. That big company will just ax it. And so their mission was to own a certain 
certain amount of market share because if they didn't, they knew their future was numbered. So it, we're seeing some of that same tendencies from the big tech companies going trying to come in and buy market share. And but you know they've also done and done some investment on the product side to really develop the solution. A great example is Microsoft Teams. I mean they've poured a lot of money into that to be able to provide a healthcare specific platform to be able to do the telehealth and team collaboration that's needed. Yeah, you're definitely right. I mean, Microsoft Teams is probably the one that I would say is a standout among the technology providers that really put effort into their healthcare offering and beefed it up. You know, took it and I won't say took advantage of, but but recognized that there was a need and so did something about it. And and there are other companies that that are doing the same. I mean, I'm going to take something. I'm going to go in the opposite direction. To me, there's a lot of companies that are in sort of traditional manufacturing that have gotten into healthcare, partly because they were forced to. <laughs> uh, but also because they just recognize that, you know, we're going to be needing a lot of stuff in healthcare for a long time and, and in society in general. I'm thinking specifically about Ford Motor Company, right, retooling some of their production lines to make PPE. I mean, it turns out that not just hospitals now are going to need this stuff. Regular retailers are going to need this. Employers are going to need this. Cleaners and people who do anything with the public are going to need this stuff. So they've smartly kind of pivoted. And, uh, and, and some of their manufacturing capacity into making this very much needed equipment. And you hear about these stories all over, small time, smaller manufacturers, medium-sized manufacturers, they've all dedicated parts of their lines into the space. And now all of a sudden they find themselves in the world of hospital procurement, right? Um, and uh, I, personally, I think that's a good thing. It's a good thing for healthcare in the sense of it diversifies their supply chain, right? So we're not reliant on foreign uh, uh, manufacturers of all this stuff. Uh, but I also think that these, companies, especially a company like Ford, they're probably going to look at how hospitals acquire stuff and go, what are you guys doing? <laughs> like, this is so <laughs> backwards. You need to fix your acquisition. Like, how you acquire a product, this is, doesn't make any sense at all. And someone with that kind of experience, I think, will be good for healthcare in terms of smoothing out and improving the procurement process. Um, so I think that's a good thing that some of these companies at that end of the scale and, and addressing the sort of materials and consumable side. I I love to see more of them get into healthcare. Yeah, you're right about Ford from a procurement process because they're so used to selling to dealerships and consumers. But uh, you know, if they look themselves in the mirror, they probably have the same procurement process with their suppliers. So you know, they may need to take a lesson from themselves. But yeah, you know, there's another group of organizations that are interesting as well. And to me, it's the proximity sensors, the identity mm. management. And even now throw in like thermal imaging, which often has an identity play as well and, and movement and tracking. And I think that's, you know, I think we're still early in this and I'm not sure exactly how it's going to play out. I think people are still trying to discover how this is going to work. But contact tracing within a hospital is its own subset of contact tracing beyond the one you hear in the regular news media, which is who did I run into throughout my daily life? In a hospital with the right sensors, it's actually possible to know which clinicians came into contact with which patients. So I'm interested to see where all of that's going to go. Plus, we're seeing an increase in security around the organizations and knowing who's going in and who's allowed to go in and how are they allowed to go in and how do I track who's going in. And so, yeah, we've always had that a bit in healthcare, but now it's just accelerated in a big degree to know who are the right people to come in. How do I filter who can come in? How do I identify them? How do I communicate with them in the future? 
if they come in and then they're at risk because of the contact tracing. So I think those ones have a great opportunity, although it's still a bit of a unknown as far as what are healthcare organizations going to really buy and what will they need six months from now in order to operate on normal, whatever the norm next normal parameters are going to be. That one's still unknown. And I don't think most healthcare organizations are going to implement new stuff for probably three to six months in that regard. Well, it sounds like we'll have to revisit that topic on a future podcast episode here. But uh, that's all the time we have for this week. But thanks to all of you who tuned into this episode of Healthcare IT Today. You can find more details about our show by checking out the programs page on healthcarenowradio.com. And please share your voice and engage with the community at, at healthcaretoday.com or on Twitter using the hashtag HITSM. I'm Colin Hung with my friend and collaborator, John Lin. Thanks for listening and have a great week.